Thank you, Heavenly Father, for bringing us here today. Thank you, Lord, for the season that we've just come through and what it means to us. And now we ask, Lord, that as we go through the remainder of this service, that, Father, you would open up your word to us, that you would teach us from it, and that we might grow in our faith and in our commitment as we walk with you. Father, as we begin this new year, I pray that each one of us will make decisions in our lives that will carry us through this, this next year in a, in a way that we've never walked with you before. But, Lord, that is our prayer. So, Lord, we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Why don't you all be seated? Like Ronnie mentioned earlier, we are missing a lot of people due to flu and sickness and uh, uh, just a lot of things going on in their lives. But I am so happy that you're here today. And I want to begin by looking at a verse. It's in in, uh, the book of John, chapter 10, verse 10. Let me read it to you, then we're going to begin. It says, The thief comes only to steal and to kill and destroy. I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. Now, I think in the King James it reads this way. It says that they might have life and have it more abundantly. So uh, I want to look at that verse for just a moment because in it the Lord Jesus is promising us an abundant life. He's talking to believers. He's saying something that is rich and full and abundant And uh, this is spoken to believers that uh, he is promising them. It begins with salvation, but it carries on through. Now, a lot of times we don't realize how important this is, but there is a life after salvation, a life that God has promised to us here on this earth, that when we walk with him, that we experience life on a whole different level than we ever could have before. As we have in the past few months been studying the book of Joshua, we um, talked about how that Joshua is simply a reflection of what the Christian life is like. It's a type, if you will, of what the Christian life is. When they came out of Egypt, that was uh, represented salvation. They were redeemed out of Egypt. But as they wandered in the desert, they were living a life of rebellion. And then they move into the promised land, and that is a picture or a type of the Christian life. A land of blessing, a land of plenty, but also a land of having to fight. And that's what we're told we have to do in this life, that we as Christians have a spiritual battle that we're, we're fighting each and every day. And we have to fight and to uh, really work at walking with the Lord. That is a tough thing to do as a believer, to walk with him faithfully every day. And the land represents the abundant life, and it's available to every Christian. Now, here's the problem. The problem is that so few of us as Christians experience that on a a regular basis for any length of time, let's say. Our lives tend to be like a roller coaster up and down, and spiritually that's kind of the way it goes for the most of us. But the Christian life is about learning how to live in the land, how to, how to walk with God, how to be faithful, and how to face those times of, of battle and, and fighting and sometimes defeat. But that's what the life is all about. And it's not a, a bed of roses where a lot of us believe that we come into this Christian life by faith and that everything after that is just hunky-dory. Uh, there's a lot of hard times. But God has said, I'm not going to protect you from those things. I'm going to take you through them. And that's what he did with Israel in this seven-year battle that they fought, dividing up that land and conquering the enemy is a picture of what that is. Now, today, here's what we're going to do. I want to look at one man, this man named Caleb. 
And uh, not a whole lot said about him in the Bible, but you are probably familiar with him. He was a very unique man and um, very blessed. And he is a perfect example, if you will, of someone who went into this uh, Christian walk, we'll call it, uh, into the land to fight the enemy and to, to live for the Lord. And he is a great example of somebody who experienced all that God had for him. He experienced the fullness, he experienced the victory, and he lived the victorious life, the spiritual life. I hesitate to say Christian because that didn't really occur until after Christ, but the spiritual life that God had for him. And he is a picture to us today of what that is going to require. And that's what we want to look at. How did he do that? How did he live his life for the Lord and experience the fullness of God Whereas most of his brothers and the Lord didn't. You know, most of the other Israelites, uh, they struggled. But he didn't seem to struggle because of of some things that were unique about him and true about him. Now, before we jump into the text, as we look at this book of Joshua, I want to just remind you again of a little bit of the background and bring you up to speed because it's been a while since we have been looking at this, going through the Christmas season and so forth. But if you'll recall... When they came out of Egypt, God took them into the desert to Mount Sinai for two years. He gave them the law, told them how to build the tabernacle, how to build the Ark of the Covenant and all of these things and taught them there for two years. But then he said, we're going to go up to the land now that I'm going to give you. And he went to an area called Kadesh Barnea. That is a very important place and you need to understand whenever the mention, someone mentions Kadesh Barnea, They're talking about when the Israelites came to the southern border of the land of Israel and God sent in the spies. Moses was directed to send in 12 spies and they came back and they gave a negative report. Ten of them said we can't do it when God said they could, but they said we're scared. There are giants in the land, we can't do it. But two of them gave a positive report and encouraged the people to go on into the land. It was Joshua and Caleb, this man we're looking at today, who gave that majority, that minority report, we should say, but the positive one at least. And he said, we can do this because God has promised this land to us and we can do it. Now, as it turns out, they had to wander in the desert for another 38 years because of their disobedience. But God said something to Caleb there that day because Caleb was the most vocal. Between him and Joshua, Caleb was the most vocal. That yes, we can do this. And God said to him, here's what I'm going to do for you, Caleb. The land that you wanted, the land that when you went in there to spy out the land, that hill country, when you walked around that area and you said to, to yourself, thank you, God, this is the land I want. You know, this is the inheritance, my part of it. I want this. He said, that land I'm going to give to you. He's the only one, really, that God promised anything to there that day. He said, the rest of you are going to wander in the desert until you're dead all except for Joshua and Caleb. But Caleb, I'm telling you here today, and I'm making a promise to you that you can have that land. Now, the story picks up 45 years later, okay? They've wandered in the desert for another 38 years, and they have fought to take and secure the land of Israel for seven years. 45 years have gone by. 36 kings have been killed. Their their armies destroyed. The only thing that remains in the land now, as far as the enemy of God is concerned, are pockets or little towns, strongholds of people. God says to, to Joe, uh, I'm sorry, um, 
Joshua divide up the land according to the tribes, the 12 tribes, and they are to go in now and secure it. Now, this is the picture of the Christian life. We have been given the inheritance. And God says, I want you to enjoy life to its fullest. I want you to walk with me, and I want you to experience everything that I have for you. But now you're going to have to go in and take it. You're going to have to go in and claim it. You're going to have to live it. And so each tribe was then responsible for doing that. This is the story of what God, or not God, but what Caleb is dealing with as he goes now to to, uh, um, Joshua, and he reminds him 45 years later that this was my portion here. And it wasn't as though Joshua was, was, was trying to take it from him or had forgotten, but he wants to make sure. And it's in this story that we learn so much about Caleb, really about all we know about him. But there are some things there. And I want to share with you today three characteristics concerning this man and in what God has, how God has used him and things about his life. But let's look at the story, okay? It begins in Joshua chapter 14. I want to look at, uh, we're going to look at verses 6 through 9, taking it as a section at a time. Watch. It says, Now the people of Judah approached Joshua at Gilgal. And Caleb, son of Jephunneh, the Kenizzite, said to him, You know what the Lord said to Moses, the man of God, at Kadesh Barnea about you and me? He's talking to Joshua. He says, You remember that? You remember what Moses said to us that day and how he promised me this land? He said, I was 40 years old when Moses, the servant of, of the Lord, sent me from Kadesh Barnea to explore the land. And I brought him back a report according to my convictions. But my fellow Israelites who went up with me made the hearts of the people melt in fear. I, however, followed the Lord my God wholeheartedly. He said, now, now Joshua, do you remember that? Well, you and I were the only ones, he said. And I, I, I stood up, and you need to understand this. He stood up in the face of the entire nation of Israel saying, we're not going, and if you try to make us, we'll stone you to death. That's what they were saying. He said, but I stood up, he said, and I gave a report that according to my convictions that we can do this. And he said, that day, here's what happened. It says in verse 9, So on that day Moses swore to me, The land on which your feet have walked will be your inheritance and that of your children forever because you have followed the Lord my God wholeheartedly. So that was my promise, Joshua. Do you remember that? Now the story goes on in verses, uh, in, in chapter 14, verses 10 through 12. It says, Now then, he says, Just as the Lord promised, he has kept me alive for 45 years. Since the time he said this to Moses, while Israel moved around about in the wilderness. So here I am today, 85 years old. I am still as strong today as the day Moses sent me out. I'm just as vigorous to go out to battle now as I was then. Now give me this hill country that the Lord promised me that day. You yourself heard then that the Anakites were there and their cities were large and fortified. But the Lord helping me, I will drive them out just as he said. Now listen to this guy. Now I want you to notice some things here because we get some insights into who he was. 
85 years old now. And he says this, and you've heard every old man that's ever lived say stuff like this, myself included, well, I'm just as good as I used to be. You know, I can still do it. You whippersnappers think you can do this. I can do it better. I know more than you. But he's not lying. He's not stretching the truth because he could. God had been so good to him that at the age of 85, his strength had not waned. And he was just as strong as he was at 40 and just as ready to go to battle. And he says to, to, to Joshua, so Joshua, 45 years earlier when Moses said to me, this land is yours, he said, I knew there were Anakites in the land then. Sons of Anak, do you know who they are? They're giants, yeah. Goliath, later on, a few hundred years later, when David faces Goliath, he was a descendant of Anak. These men were nine, nine and a half, ten feet tall, according to the scriptures. They were huge. Some genetic abnormality, I don't know. I don't know how they came to be. But nonetheless, they were there. Nobody else wanted to go fight them. They all said, we look like grasshoppers compared to these guys. We're not going in there. Caleb said, I want that land. I know they're there, and I'm telling you that with the Lord's help, I will take that land. I'll clean them out. I'm 85 years old, but it doesn't matter. Because if the Lord helps me like he has before, I'm going to go in and do it. Now watch what Joshua says. In verse 13, verses 13 through 15. Then Joshua blessed Caleb, son of Jephunneh, and gave him Hebron. That's the land he's asking for, the, the hill country. Gave him Hebron as his inheritance. So Hebron has belonged to, to Caleb, son of Jephunneh, the Kenazite, ever since. Because he followed the Lord, the God of Israel, wholeheartedly. Hebron used to be called Kiriath Arba after Arba, who was the greatest man among the Anakites. Then the land had rest from war. Now, Joshua wasn't trying to take the land or keep him from it. Joshua fully intended to honor what Moses had said. And he says he blessed Caleb. Caleb, that's your land and God's blessings on you. And you guys go in. The tribe of Judah, that's who it was given to. You go in now and clean the giants out. Clean these people out and finish up the job that God has called us to do, and that's your land. And it says in Joshua 15, verses 14 through 15, here's what happened. It says, From Hebron, Caleb drove out the three Anakites, Sheshai, Iman, and Talmi, the sons of Anak. And from there he marched again the, against the people living in Deber, formerly called Kiriath Sefer. In other words, he cleaned them out. There were three giants, three armies still living in the land. He cleaned them all out. And to our knowledge, and I can't say this definitively, but it seems like that Caleb was the only one of the twelve tribes. Judah and Caleb were the only ones that did this. All the others left pockets of people in there. We're going to look at that here in a few weeks when we start in the book of Judges. What happened? What was the result of that? In the lessons we learned from that. But at least this day, Caleb did the job that God had called him to do. And Caleb went into the land, he and his people, and from what we gather, um, it seems like that they enjoyed the land, they enjoyed the peace there in their land, the inheritance that God had for them, the abundant life that God wanted to give them, they enjoyed there in the land. 
And it probably can only be said about him and his people that they were able to do this. Now here's where we're going to shift gears now, and I want to look at some lessons. What do we learn from this? Because I want to know what it is that is unique about this man. What is it that is unique about him from all the others in the other tribes? What enabled him to go into a land filled with giants in a strong army and strong fortresses still fortresses still left there and enabled him to go in and secure it and enjoy it? What was it about him? Because you see, that's what I want. I want to be able to do that in my Christian life. I want to be able to have that kind of walk because I want to enjoy all the fullness that God has for me. And this is true of you as well. Because God wants so much more for all of us. But our doubts and our fears and our insecurities and our disobedience and all the things that go with it cause us to miss it. And we live our lives and we die and we go into glory, but we never have experienced the fullness that God wants us to have. So this is a picture of that. I want to share with you these three characteristics, things that are going to be necessary for you and me to enjoy that full life that God has for us. The first unique thing that I see about Caleb here is this, a willingness to serve in the shadows if necessary. A willingness to serve in the shadows if necessary. Now think about his life in totality, okay? Here was a man who for 47 years, from the time they left Egypt, he served Moses faithfully. When then after they get to the land and finally go into the land under Joshua, for this last seven years, he served Joshua faithfully. And never once do you hear about Caleb rebelling, getting jealous, wanting more, trying to get something that wasn't his, or demanding notoriety or popularity or whatever. Not once. If you tried to get or talk to him about, hey, let's rebel against Joshua. Let's don't do this. This is too hard. Caleb would have not have done it. Because Caleb, now listen to this, Caleb was absolutely, literally devoted to the kingdom of God. In other words, Caleb saw what God was doing. God wants us to go in and take this land. He's given these people hundreds and hundreds of years to repent. And now his judgment is falling. We are to take them out. We are to secure the land. And we are to live there as a beacon into this world. We are supposed to let these people of the world know who God is. And so let's do it. And never once did he veer or deviate from that goal. This is a test of his character. It was a testimony of who he was. I'm committed to do what God has called me to do. This is my task, my responsibility. God didn't call me to lead the people. He called Joshua to lead the people. But he called me to do this, and I'll do it. Because you see, my job is like this. There's a whole big puzzle here called the kingdom of God. And my task is to fill this one hole in the puzzle to be what I'm supposed to be to God in my part to play in this. And I'm so committed to it that I'm going to do it no matter what. And I'll serve Moses, I'll serve Joshua, I'll serve whomever I have to serve faithfully in order to get it to happen. Because the most important thing to me He says, is that the kingdom of God prevail 
and that God do what God wants to do here in this land. We jump ahead to the New Testament. There was a time when Jesus, during his ministry, was preaching. In Matthew chapter 6, verse 33, here's what he said. He says to the people, But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. Now look at that. Jesus is saying, you want to experience the fullness of God? You want to experience the things that God has for you? You want answers to your prayers? You want the things that, that, that the blessings that are there for you to take? All these things God's going to give you. Here's what you have to do. You put my kingdom first. You look at your life and what you want, and you say, I'll put this on the back burner. It's not about what I want. It's about me doing my part in the big scheme of things, Lord. So I don't care if I'm number one. I don't care if I'm the best. I don't care about any of that. I simply want to do my job and end well and and further your kingdom as best I can. And each one of us needs to have that attitude because here's, here's the thing. If I or you or anyone else, any other believer, is continually promoting themselves, this is what I want, this is what I feel, this is what I desire, and not falling in line with what God has given you to do. And only you can answer what God has given you to do here in this life. Then you're going to continually be struggling to experience the fullness that God has for you. There are too many believers in the world who are so selfish that the only thing they want is what they want. I only want a little bit of God. I don't want a whole lot and I don't want to be bothered. And so I'm not going to serve faithfully. I'm not going to do what I'm supposed to do. I'm not going to take that job. I'm not going to fill that ministry because that's not what I want. And if I'm ever going to experience what God wants for me, then I have to do the job God has given me to do and you as well. And only you can answer where that is and what capacity and what, what area of ministry and what way God would have you to, to do that. But the very first thing that you need to understand is a willingness to serve in the shadows if necessary to do the job God has given me to do. This is the first step in experiencing the life that God has for me because God has already told me in the New Testament it tells God resists the proud, the selfish, the self-promoting. God says, I'll put my hand on you and you will not have success. I, I won't let it happen. I resist the proud, but I pour my grace out on the humble. Those that put me first and themselves second. Now you and I each need to evaluate our lives because you and I have to now answer the question, in what areas of my life am I promoting myself and my needs and my wants over the kingdom of God? I don't want to go to church, so I'm not going to go. I don't want to give money, so I'm not going to give. I don't want to do that ministry. I'm not going to do it. And how many times in the course of your life are you, do you hear yourself saying, I, I, I? And God says, here's the first thing, the first step of obedience. Humble yourself before me and just do what I've called you to do. Here's the second characteristic that is necessary for you and me to experience the abundant life that God has for us, and that is this. 
a spiritual hunger that is never satisfied. A spiritual hunger that can never be satisfied. You never get to the point where I've had my fill of God, I'm not hungry for Him anymore. It's a hunger that continues until God calls you home. And I've seen too many Christians get satisfied. They've had enough. I want to show you something. In the book of Numbers, now this is the, the parallel story of Joshua. Um, and, and also Exodus as well. But in Numbers it says this in chapter 14, verse 24. He says, But because my servant Caleb has a different spirit and follows me wholeheartedly, I will bring him into the land he went to, and his descendants will inherit it. Now I want you to take note of that, that first part of that verse. He says it's because Caleb has a different spirit. What in the world does that mean? Well, the Holy Spirit hadn't been given yet as far as indwelling a person at that point. He came upon them temporarily to do certain things and then left again. It wouldn't be until Pentecost that he would come and stay. There wasn't, he's not talking about evil spirits. I mean, what could he possibly be talking about a different spirit? Well, in all probability, what he means by that is Caleb has a different heart. He has a whole different heart. Caleb has a whole different way of thinking. With Caleb, there are different priorities, different goals. Caleb's just different. This man is different from everyone else. And what he wants more than anything, Caleb wants to know me. Caleb wants to be with me. You see, Caleb wants to follow me. And not all the rest of you, as he looks at the nation of Israel, not all the rest of you want that. But Caleb does. He has a spiritual hunger that just can't ever seem to be satisfied. He wants more and more of me. I want to show you something. Caleb wanted that hill country. He wanted that I don't know whether he came back after scouting it out and asked that, hey, I want that. You know, did God promise it because he had asked for it? What was it? Well, there's something very important about that place. And I want you to listen. You see, Hebron was the area of that hill country where Abraham had lived. In Joshua chapter 14, verse 14, it says, So Hebron has belonged to Caleb, son of Jephunai, the Kenazite, ever since, because he followed the Lord, the God of Israel, wholeheartedly. Hebron was his. Now watch. I want to go all the way back to Genesis for a moment. Now listen. Genesis chapter 13, verse 18. So Abram, that's Abraham, went to live near the great trees of Mamre at Hebron, where he pitched his tents. There he built an altar to the Lord. Now what is going on? Well, you're looking at about 700 years ago. You see, 700 years ago when Abraham, when God called him out of his pagan life and said, I want you to go to this place and I'm going to make you into a great nation. Abraham and his family settled in the land of Israel in Hebron, the hill country. 
And he got along with people. He made friends there. God wasn't ready to destroy those nations yet because he gave them more time. Abraham was like a beacon of light, testimony of God into the end of these people. But it was Hebron that he was living. You see, it was Hebron where God made the covenants with Abraham and his descendants. It was there that he told him over and over and over again that this land is yours. And he told him, he said, you're going to go into Egypt and your descendants will live there. But in the fourth generation, 400 years later, I'll bring you out and you'll conquer this nation. You'll conquer these lands. But you're going to have to live here. In Genesis chapter 23, verse 2, it says that Sarah was buried there in Hebron. She died at Kiriath Arba, that is Hebron, in the land of Canaan, and Abraham went to mourn for Sarah and weep over her. Sarah was buried there. In Genesis 35:27, listen to what it says. Jacob came home to his father Isaac in Mamre, near Kiriath Arba, that is Hebron, where Abraham and Isaac had stayed. Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, all lived in Hebron. Hebron was where he spoke, where God spoke to them. Hebron is where he told each one of them about the covenant that he was making with them. Hebron is where God told Sarah that she would have a son when she was 90 years old. Hebron is where God told Abraham that I'm going to destroy Sodom and Gomorrah. And Abraham pleaded with him not to. Hebron is where Abraham was buried with Sarah. Hebron is where Jacob was buried with them. And from all indications, when, when Joseph told the, told the Israelites, God's going to bring you up out of this land of Egypt, and I'm going to die, and it'll be 400 years from now, but you take my bones out of here, and you bury them at home. And from all indications, Joseph's bones were buried in Hebron. So what does that mean? Caleb knew that. The Israelites knew the history. They knew where they were going. They knew what Abraham, who Abraham was and what he had done. Caleb says, I want that land. I want Hebron. Because I want to know God like the patriarchs did. I want to be close to him like Abraham and Isaac and Jacob were. If there's any spiritual significance to this land of Israel, then it's going to be here in Hebron. And if God's going to speak, He's going to speak here in Hebron. And I want to be there. The man had a passion. And all he wanted was to know God. Eighty-five years old. And he wants that land with the giants in it. He said, yeah, I'll go in and I'll clean it out and I'll take the land. I'll secure it because I want to be in fellowship with him and know him in ways I've never known him before. Wow, what about us? How bad do we really want to know him? How passionate are we? Let's, let's just be honest, okay? For most believers, it seems like all we want is just a little bit of God. 
I want to know that I'm a Christian. I want to know that I'm bound for heaven. I want to know I'm saved. But outside of that, it's just too much trouble. It's just too hard. And honestly, we're just lazy spiritually. Guys, I put myself in this category too. Because you see, if it means that I've got to come to church on a Sunday to learn about him, there's just too many other things. If it means I need to start giving money to people in need and to help ministries and support the church, I'd rather keep it myself. If it means I've got to devote my time and be involved in somebody's life and help somebody in ministry and some way spread this kingdom and enlarge this kingdom, I'd, I'd rather do something else. And all I really need is a little bit of God, so we just dip our toe in it and we just say to ourselves, that's enough, that's enough. And we don't have a passion for God. We just don't. And we keep wondering why it is that our lives never seem to go anywhere. Why it seems like, spiritually speaking, we're as dry as bones. And we, we blame it on God. And you've got to understand something. It's not God's fault. It's your fault. It's my fault. Because we don't have a passion to know Him. And Caleb did. And if you and I are ever, ever going to understand this rich, full spiritual life that God says can be ours, if we're ever going to have victory in this life, then we've got to be passionate about knowing Him and being as close to Him and serving Him faithfully. That's the only way. Very quickly. Number three. Here's the third characteristic of this man that I want to apply to ourselves here, and that is this. He had a faith and commitment that never wavered. A faith that never wavered and a commitment to do what was right and obedience to God never wavered. The man was remarkable. That I will trust him all the days of my life and I will serve him faithfully in obedience to him for all the days of my life. And he did. I want to go back again to this verse we've looked at twice now, Joshua 14, verse 14. It says, So Hebron has belonged to Caleb, son of Jephunneh, the Kenizzite, ever since, because, because he followed the Lord, the God of Israel, wholeheartedly. That's the third time it's been stated in that passage that this man followed the Lord wholeheartedly. From the time he walked up to the boundary line of that land 45 years earlier in Kadesh Barnea, his faith has never wavered. It's never wavered. He has been faithful to God ever since. In Joshua 14, verse 12, he said, Now give me this hill country that the Lord promised me that day. You yourself heard then that the Anakites were there. And their cities were large and fortified. But the Lord helping me, I will drive them out just as he said. I'll do it. I'll do it. The Lord is on my side in this. The Lord has told me what's going to happen. I'll do it. A faith? Did he trust God? Yeah, he said, but God told me this. He told me. Why would I doubt it? God said, I'm going to do it. I'll do it. 
you and I will never experience the fullness of God without wholehearted faith and obedience. That means in areas of our lives, I need to trust Him when it seems like it's never going to happen, but I've got to. And let me just say this, okay? And, and this is going to offend some of us, but old age is no excuse. Okay? Old age is no excuse. Now, guys, please understand where I'm coming from because I'll be the first to tell you. I'm 67 and I feel myself going downhill quickly. My strength is not like that of Caleb. I'll tell you right now. And I find myself making excuses. It's just too painful. It just hurts. I don't want to. And all of that is true. But I still have to trust Him. I still have to obey Him. I still have to walk with Him because He hasn't called me home yet. And the same is true for you. Now, please understand something. The area of ministry will change. That's understandable. We may not have the strength to do in that area what we used to do. But we never, ever retire from serving God. We never, ever are excused from obedience to God. We're never excused from obeying Him and trusting Him, ever. And I don't know what it is, and I feel myself doing this sometimes. We get to the point where we look back at our lives and we think, you know what? I have been serving God for 50 years. I'm tired. And somehow we think that 50 years of serving God allows us to get away from serving God. And that's not the case. You don't retire from the Christian life. You don't retire from trusting Him. You don't retire from serving Him. It looks different as time goes on. But we're always there saying, Lord, here I am just like Caleb, 85 years old, I got no excuse, Lord, here I am. In Judges chapter 1, verse 20, listen to what it says, because it kind of picks up and carries the story through. As Moses had promised, Hebron was given to Caleb, who drove from it the three sons of Anak. At 85, he said, bring it on, another conquest, another challenge, bring it on. When we were last week having our Christmas Eve service, I gave you this definition of faith. We were tying that into the faith of, of Mary and what she knew and so forth. Let me read this for you again. It's not going to be up on the screen, so I'll repeat it if you want to write it down. Perfect faith. We always talk about, boy, I want, some, I want perfect faith. I, I want a strong faith. Well, you need to understand what it is. Now watch. Listen very carefully. Perfect faith does not mean that we understand everything about God. Now, let me stop there, because what I, what I mean by that is this. Perfect faith, what God wants from you, does not mean that you're going to understand what God is doing, that you're going to understand what's going to happen in the future. You don't understand those things. Perfect faith is not saying, okay, God, if I understand it, and I understand where we're going with this, then I, then I can trust you. Though that's not what faith is. Perfect faith doesn't mean we understand everything about God. Perfect faith means this, that we trust God even when we are afraid and things don't make sense. I'm going to trust you even though I'm afraid and things don't make sense. 
Facing the sons of Anak has got to strike fear in your heart. I don't care how strong your faith is. But your faith moves you forward anyway. I think sometimes we as Christians think that for me to believe God and to trust God with my issues and problems and, and so forth means that I've got to understand how this is going to be dealt with and I've got to understand the outcome and I've got to understand where it's going to end up. And then if I understand all of that, then I will have a, a better chance of trusting you. So that's what we end up praying for. God, help, help me understand. God says, no, you may not understand. Are you going to go fight them anyway? Will you just do what I ask you to do? Will you trust me? Will you obey me? And see, that's when faith kicks in because you look back at your life and you say, you know what, God, you have brought me through the wilderness. You have brought me all these ways and I've seen victories. I've seen changed lives. I've seen you move in my life. I've seen a difference in me. Okay, God, why would I not trust you with the future? Even though I'm scared to death and don't understand what's going to happen. Why would I not? So yeah, there are always going to be new territories for you to conquer. That's the Christian life. There will always be new enemies, new obstacles, new things that you have to overcome. For you it may be different than what it might be for the next person. Okay, Your obstacle, your enemy might be an old habit that you need to kick. You've been playing with this thing long enough and toying with it. You've got to drop it. You've got to change. God says, you're not going to go a step further till this is taken care of. Then deal with it. If you trust God enough with your life, and if you believe that what God's going to do is going to bring you into a place of spiritual victory in abundance, then trust Him enough to kick the habit. Maybe for you, your obstacle is, Lord, I want to know more about you, but I just don't, I'm not a good student. I don't like to study. Maybe you need to learn how. Maybe you need to start reading good books. Maybe you need to start reading the Bible more. Maybe for you, your obstacle out there, the giants in your land, the land that you've got to conquer, the thing that scares you the most, is that person at work that you know is lost, and you know in your heart that God has told you before, you need to share the gospel with that person. And you've given excuse after excuse saying, God, I can't, I don't know how I'm scared. Do you trust me enough just to open your mouth and start talking? Do you believe that I have the power to change that person's heart? Let me do it. I just need you to be the mouthpiece. Will you be obedient? You've got to make that decision. Because for every obstacle you back away from, God says you will not experience what I have for you. But on the other side, you will. That person that I want you to minister to and to love, put your arm around, give them assistance, help them in some way. Will you do it? And you make all these excuses and God says, no, no, you will not experience my fullness until you go in and conquer this. Guys, there are always things in our lives that are going to scare us to death. There are always things that we don't want to do. But this is where you and the Spirit of God have to come to understanding. I can't tell you what it is in your life that's holding you back. Only God can show you that. But I believe, I trust God that He'll show you because that's what God does. And you'll know. You'll be convicted. You'll know it. You'll keep thinking about it. You'll just know. 
And until you overcome that obstacle and step out there and fight the giant, you'll never experience the victory. And without the victory, you'll never experience the abundance and the fullness that God has for you. Guys, this is very important that we do this. Let me review real quick just what we've hit. Three characteristics that are going to be necessary for you and me understanding the fullness of God. A willingness to serve in the shadows if necessary. If that's what it takes, then serve where God has put you. Just be humble. Do what God has asked you to do. Number two, a spiritual hunger that is never satisfied. Don't you ever, ever be satisfied with where you are spiritually. You are continually moving into the land. You are continually moving ahead. Don't you dare be satisfied. In a faith and a commitment that never waver. An obedience to God and a trust in God that never, ever diminishes. That's what God wants. You're coming into a new year now. Next week we'll be in 2019. What better time for you to make some serious changes between you and the Lord? To say to yourself, I want, I want that. I've never experienced it and I want it. I want to have some victories, some spiritual victories in my life. I want to, I want a full, rich, abundant life. I want to know him in ways I've never known him. Then you're going to have to fight the enemy. And God will show you who he is and where he is, what it is. You're going to have to step out in faith and do it. That's the only way. I pray that each one of us does. One battle at a time. You know, maybe you're here this morning and you don't understand what salvation is. Let me read you this one last verse. In John 3.16 it says, For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whosoever believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. That is a promise of God that calls upon you to believe it. That's what salvation is. It's God's gift to you that you put your faith in what he has done for you on the cross, that he died on the cross for you, was resurrected for you, and that he pays for all of your sins. Salvation is free. It's yours for the taking. Let's bow our heads and close our eyes. And if you're here this morning and you don't understand that, then right here where you are right now, trust him. Believe him. Believe that he died on a cross for you and that Jesus is your Savior. If you have questions about that or want to talk about it, there's a yellow card in the seat in front of you. Fill it out, drop it in the offering plate. I would love to sit down and talk with you more about that. For all of us, let's make this new year different. Let's begin to see that we've got to make some changes if we want to walk with the Lord the way he wants us to. You be thinking and you be praying about what it is that is in your way. What are the obstacles that God has? And you have the faith and the courage enough to step out and say, Okay, Lord, I'll fight that giant. I'll do that because I trust you. Let's do it. Let's see what God does with us. Our Heavenly Father, as we bow here before you, Lord, we are humbled in your presence. And Father, we pray for each one of us, all of us, Lord, as a church and as individuals, that this year will be different. And that we would really become serious about our walk with you. 
And that, Father, each one of us can begin to walk in victory, can begin to walk the abundant life. That 2019 can be the best year of our lives. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.